Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Causes or Cures. I'm Dr. Eeks, your host. Thanks so much for joining in today. So, today's podcast is with Dr. Vera Schlusel on the cognitive abilities of fish. Yes, fish. With a specific focus on her latest study, published in Nature, Scientific Reports, titled Cichlids and Stingrays Can Add and Subtract 1 in the number space from 1 to 5. So basically, we're going to be talking about fish doing math, which is really cool to think about because most of us don't give any credit or even think about fish thinking. Um, we don't respect fish. Like a perfect example of this, if right? So sometimes if you ask someone, you're like, oh, are you a vegetarian? And you'll hear someone say, yes, yes, but I eat fish. But you never hear the opposite of that. You never hear, oh, so are you a vegetarian? Yes, but I eat cows, <laughs> right? Um, just something to think about. And, and some people call fish meat, some people don't. It depends who you ask. Anyhow, I know some people are used to human health topics on here, us humans, but I take the one health approach to health, meaning our health is connected to the health of all the species. Our health is connected to our environment's health. And, you know, we really don't take good care of our environment or think about other species or how we're all connected. And we should. I mean, hey, we just got through a pandemic and a lot of the factors leading to emerging infectious diseases are related to how we interact with our environment and fellow species. Um, so we should pay attention to this even for selfish reasons. <laughs> All right. Anyhow, we are focusing on fish today. So let's learn some cool evidence-based facts about them. Uh, Dr. Vera Schlusel runs the Schlusel Cognition Lab at the Institute for Zoology at the University of Bonn in Germany, which sounds like such a cool job. So give me a few seconds here while we connect to her and hear all about fish doing math. So, so Vera, so let's start out here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do? Um, I read your paper. I thought it was so interesting. Thank and you. Yes, it's something I don't know anything about, really. So I was like, this is cool. Um, and, and so how did you get interested in that type of thing? I guess, I don't know if you can call it cognitive abilities of fish or... That's what I was calling it in my mind. Obviously, I don't know anything about this topic, but yeah. So, well, you. it's, uh, it's uh, when I was uh, between six or seven, I got a I got a shark book given to me by a friend of my mom's, and uh, really from that moment on, I was hooked. I wanted to be a shark scientist, and I never really let go of that idea. Like people made fun of, friends made fun of it, family made fun of it all through high school, and then. Um, it somehow worked out, though. I uh, I went when I was 23. I went to the Bahamas and worked for eight months uh, in the shark lab. And, uh, yeah, ever since then, everything I've done really had to do with sharks and stingrays and fish and, and, and all that, all of that. So, um, basically, when I uh, when I, I got my undergraduate degree in, in Baltimore and um, uh, and and from there on, I went I went to the Bahamas and then I had to go back to Germany because my mom was sick and I went to the University of Bonn, which is close by my parents' house. 
And I went to my professor and I said, well, I would really like to do my master's thesis here, but I have to work on sharks with stingrays. And he just looked at me and he's like, well, that's really hard. Like we work on fish, but we don't have any sharks with stingrays. And, but he was really, uh, like he's great. He was my boss later on for a long time. He's a fabulous role model and, and friend of mine. And he made it possible. So he said, you can do, um, we can do some experiments with freshwater stingrays because we didn't have a marine system. So in 2005, I published my first study on uh, spatial memory and orientation strategies in freshwood stingrays. And um, then afterwards, I went to Australia to get my PhD, but um, we always stayed in touch. And when I graduated, he, um, he actually had a position available and he said, Vera, don't you want to come back and, and do a postdoc with me? And uh, I said, well, you know, my conditions, only if I can have sharks and stingrays. And so, um, well, we we set up a marine system at the University of Bonn, and ever since, I since 2009, I've been there, and I've been working on the cognitive abilities of fish, uh, and in particular of bamboo sharks and freshwater stingrays. So I kept the freshwater stingrays, but I also added on the marine system with the uh, bamboo sharks. It's a small benthic species, and um, and we also look at the Malawi cichlids as a for a comparative purpose to. To see, well, it's like there are many, many, many studies on Telios available. Whereas in the Alaska branch, so the, the shark and the stingrays, before I started out, there really wasn't much available at all. It was just a handful of studies. And the whole learning and memory function thing in the Alaska branch was like this blank slate. It was like no one interested in that. It was just a, a few studies. And even nowadays, there's really just one group in the Bahamas and another group, um, by Colin Brown, led, uh, led by Colin Brown in Australia. But like the sort of the three of us are really like the only labs that really, really focus on this, that really do several studies, multiple studies, and, you know, really are really interested in the Celestial Brand Physicians work. And, um, yeah, so since 2009, uh, we've been looking at a whole range of different topics because Nothing had been known, and you know it's a wide open field. There were so many things to explore, and we started out with um, spatial memory, um, different like what strategies do they use, what strategies are preferred under different conditions, and so forth. But then we also went into can they see color? Can they discriminate between objects? Can they discriminate um, or can they perceive symmetry? Can they categorize? We looked at numerical abilities, um, reversal learning. So many, many different things uh, in the cognition world, like studies that had previously been done on telios and on many other vertebrate groups, even invertebrate groups, but really hadn't ever been tested in, in Alaska ranks. And we looked at the telios as a comparative individual because when you compare different studies, um, it's always really hard if there's a different design and so forth. You know, it's 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 uh, there's so much individual uh, variability between fish and between and then uh, between species also. And then if you have different methods and so forth, it gets really hard to contribute differences that you perceive um, to uh, to just being in the like being individuals or being different species or having different uh, testing methods. So. What I loved about the report I read, and, you know, I'm totally new to this, and uh, I was, I liked the graphics, you know, the, the pictures, because I can then understand your methods and how, right. how you did it, um, which, you know, for me, like, just a total newbie to this. I'm like, oh, interesting. So I thought, 
could you explain the setup, you know, in terms of how, like, the <clears throat> fish were going to swim through this, this, uh, this, ma- almost like a maze, but not really, but, um, and, and it, what that setup was and why you designed it like that? Um, well, the, um, the original study or the idea for the study, unfortunately, was not my own. So we based our study on an already existing study in honeybees that was published in 2019. Um, and so, so we, um, we sort of like, if you want to copy that study, but we had to modify it a bit for the fish because obviously fish and bees are different. So uh, most of the experiments that we do are so-called two alternative false choice experiments in which the fish is being given two options. It's operant conditioning, and the fish chooses one option in the beginning by coincidence um, and is rewarded or not rewarded. And uh, if the fish manages to form an association, then it will prefer one stimulus over the other. And that is the one that it, uh, when it chooses it, it's being rewarded with food. So, um, so we sort of took the apparatus that we had previously prior to doing the numerical, um, stuff and sort of like combined it with what the honeybee people had used. And in a way it works. Uh, you can imagine you have a, you have a box and there are two gates in it. And so the fish sits basically in, in one of the compartments and it looks at a little door. And on the door, we, um, we put a card and that's in case of the stingrays. And the card gives a certain stimulus, like in this case, for example, three blue objects. Now, then it looks at it, then we raise the door, so the stimulus is gone, and it enters a second compartment. And then in the second compartment, we have another two stimuli. And in these two, uh, these two stimuli will then display either a blue four or a blue two. And blue is, in this case, was the indicator for having to do an addition. So the correct choice would have been a four, and the incorrect one would have been the two. And if it goes to the four, it's being rewarded with food. And if it goes to the two, nothing happens. And actually, we, we built this setup out of um, Playmobil. Like, uh, do you know Playmobil? Playmobil? I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, like the... Play-Doh? Um, no, not Play-Doh. Playmobil is like, like Lego. Like, okay. Yeah. Yes. 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 So we built like a like a fort, like a like a box. <laughs> it looked really as biologists they never have money. They have to uh, they have to improvise. <laughs> so yeah, we really had like a box, and we had these uh, divisions, and then you know it goes from one into the second into the third compartment. Yeah. Well, hold on. I'm being now. It goes from. Yeah, it, it's sort of like it sits somewhere, then it, it goes into second, then there's another door, and then yes, and then it, it enters. Uh, and I'm sure I should look at the I should look at the setup while I describe it. But the the main point is that you see you see something, then it's being taken away, and then you're being given two more options. And based on what you saw originally, you then have to make the choice. You have to decide between the two. Um, later options, the, the two things that you're being given in the second step. And, um, and this is actually quite different to the experiments that we've done, that we've done before, because usually we always have the animal enters the compartment and then simply has to decide between two stimuli that are, uh, that are presented sim- simultaneously. So you can look at one and look at the other and make a choice. And, and this task was a lot harder because 
they see something and they have to remember and recognize the color. They have to remember and recognize the number. And then they have to go and based on what they've just seen, they have to make another choice. So they have to, they have to use working memory. And um, so the task is actually much more complex than the one that we usually use. Huh. And um, so you, you were testing whether they could recognize colors as symbols. So you said, so blue was addition in your study and yellow was subtract, sub- subtraction. Subtraction. Can't say that word today. <laughs> uh, so, so what is that about? The, you, did you already know that they recognized colors as symbols? That was already known. Well, we, no, we, uh, we knew that they could, um, recognize colors because we had done a study previously on color vision and we knew they could differentiate between blue and yellow. So that's important. And, uh, we had done, we also had done a previous study on geometric symbols, but they were all in black. So we had tested sharks and stingrays if they could differentiate five, five symbols from two symbols. And then we presented different ratios to them, like six versus three and five versus two and seven versus five and, you know, different, different ratios of, of objects, two dimensional uh, objects on, on cards. And they would follow the rule to always pick the larger number. So if they learned in training to pick five over two in so-called transfer tests, they would pick seven over four, they pick six over three and so forth. So we could deduct from that that they had not uh, internalized that they have not learned to pick five exactly, but they followed the rule, picked the larger amount. Of. So we knew that they could have this sort of numerical ability. We knew that, and we knew the colors. And and sort of like this study now combined the two things that we already knew. And it was now like, well, can you differentiate between the same number if it's presented in different colors? Can you remember what you've been shown? For a few seconds, and can you then base the second choice on what you have previously seen using numerical abilities? So it was really it was quite complex in that. Um, and we were like over the years, like I said, since two thousand and nine, I've been doing these cognition experiments with those three species, and um, actually a lot of the stuff we found has been quite amazing. It's never the media attention, but many of the studies we've done, I find equally fascinating or I'm equally enthusiastic about. Um, but but this one was definitely one of the most complex things, and I wasn't really surprised that they learned it, mm-hmm. but I was um, I was very surprised by one fact, and that is, um, like I said in the study that we did first, where we simply trained sharks and stingrays to differentiate between five objects versus two and then tested them in these alternative ratios, they would always pick the larger amount presented to them. So I had assumed that in this experiment, they also learn when it's blue, pick the larger one. When it's yellow, pick the smaller one. Like a simple rule. And uh, But the transfer test quite nicely showed that they did not only learn to have to pick the larger one it's blue and the smaller one when it's yellow, but you have to pick exactly the amount that differs by the factor one. And that was really unexpected because I thought in nature it's probably more beneficial why it's sufficient to only learn more or less. I didn't, I hadn't really expected that they could really differentiate by the factor one. Like in the, in one of the transfer tests, we gave them 
the blue three, for example, and then as a as a secondary option, we gave them four and five. So it's like three scenarios could have been possible. They would, if they had learned to just pick pick the largest one, they should have chosen five, which they didn't. If they just learned pick a larger number, they should have chosen equally often between four and five, five because both numbers are more than three, so both would have been correct. And the, the, the third option would have been, well, pick the one that differs by plus one. And they did. So they chose four significantly often to a very high degree. So in training, we, we always gave them the option of, well, in, in training, there was only one correct answer. That is one that differed by plus one or minus one. But you could have also learned the rule, pick the larger or the smaller. It wasn't defined. Both ways would have led to Rome, like both would have gotten you to, to your goal. Right, and right. The, fact, the fact that they learned the more difficult one, the more yeah. specific one, and they didn't just go with the highest or lowest, but the plus one, minus one, that was in fact actually surprising. And I haven't been surprised for, for quite a while because we've had so many nice studies. Yeah. Uh, so then I, it's like, it's more like when a study doesn't work, it's more like that I ask myself whether we use the wrong design or ask the wrong question as opposed to me thinking they cannot do it. But in this, in this task, I mean, it's quite artificial, you know, when you, when you look at the design and the, and the object that we use, it's not a very natural task to have. And the fact that they learned it so well and even learned the, the detailed rule, the plus one, minus one, as opposed, I, I thought that was really, really great. Yeah, no, that's yeah. really, that's, it's a little more detailed and yeah, that's really neat. Um, yeah. And, and just for people who may not know anything, um, the transfer test, you did those to make sure that they were actually, this was an actual cognitive ability. This wasn't random or that kind of thing. Well, uh, when you, um, if, if you think about it, when you, um, when you, what can I say? Let's say the okay. Let's say the ray during training sees like a blue two. It sees two blue objects, and then it goes through the the little door, and then it's being given the option of one and three. So it could just learn whenever the picture looks like this, then this picture is the correct answer. Like not really looking at the counting, but just looking at the picture. You know, like the same way you can recognize something without knowing what it is. You just right. remember some some elements from the, like, right. whatever. So we, we sort of counteracted that by already during training, presenting the, the, the numbers, the number of objects on very, in very different positions, sometimes circles, sometimes squares, sometimes they were far away from another, sometimes they were close to each other. You know, we, we varied the arrangement of the forms on the paper cards uh, to make it, to, to make it as variable as possible. But still, um, still there's, there's always still an element of uh, of ambiguity. So the transfer test, in the, what we did in the transfer test is we showed them the number three. And the number three had never been used during training. So it was a completely new scenario. And in the transfer test, you don't have any rewarding with foods. You just, you basically use a transfer test to... Um, to test the animal in a new situation to find out what strategies it has used or to see if it can be applied to new problems. So you're not teaching something new. You're just trying to uh, to extract some information about the training that you've already done. 
And um, in that respect, because we gave them completely new cards they had never seen before, we could very nicely demonstrate that they hadn't just remembered like a photographic memory, like when I see this, I need to pick that. They had never seen the cards, so they couldn't choose based on a photographic memory. They really had to choose based on the numerical value. Um, the same way one of the transfer tests we did, and we changed the size of things. Like, um, you always try to control for confounding factors. So you always, obviously, if you have uh, different numbers of objects, then uh, you can control for size or for surface area. So you can control for the amount of uh, darkness on white background, for example, or on the size of the individual stimuli. If you make all of the stimuli the same size, you will have more color by necessity on um, the, the card that features more objects. So an animal could choose on the amount of color instead of numerosity. The same way when you have all objects, um, when you have the, um, the, the, the uh, stimuli, the fewer stimuli, in, in let's say two versus five, uh, if you make them this, uh, if you have them the same surface area, then the smaller number it will always be bigger in size. So in order to control for that again, we also did that in training by changing these things around. But uh, during the transfer test, we made them all again the, the same size. So they couldn't just base choice on, 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 on size of stimuli, just to make sure. And um, yeah, so the transfer test, they're always sort of there to give, they're like, they have like a control element. But they also just use new situations and see if what's been learned can be applied to something new. And if that gives you, um, like, like in this, in this, I think it was the second transfer test with the four and the five, it tells you something that what rule they learned. Did they pick the plus one? Did they pick the largest one? Did they pick a larger one? And the, the results then, it's like a detective work, you know, it's like or puzzle work. It's just, the results sort of give some information on, on what strategy the fish has used. No, that's really interesting. Now, what? how did the the stingrays compare to the cichlids? Was there significant differences between them? Um, yes, they, they differed in, 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 um, in, uh, in, in several respects. Um, let me think that I get this straight. I think the cichlids, uh, generally the cichlids learn quicker. Like in, in many of the tasks that we have, the, the cichlids are very, very quick to learn. And they're also uh, a lot less stubborn than the stingrays are. So when you train them in different tasks, for example, the cichlids much quicker um, adapt to the new task um, and let the old stuff go, whereas the stingrays are incredibly stubborn. And they're like, oh, when you teach them something, they, they, they get really good at it. And that's another difference. Stingrays usually get much better results than the cichlids, but at the same time, they don't want to let go. They they continue doing what you've trained them to do, and they're like, "Come on!" It always got me to the right answer. It's gonna, you know, it's gonna work somehow again. So it it takes a long time. So um, we this is something that I can almost say I'm quite sure a species specific difference because we see that across many different topics. Like uh, with, with with the small number of individuals that we have, um, another it's always very hard to say something is really different between species as opposed to just being individual differences. Like when you go into a classroom and you see how many people can draw really well, 
then you get some that can draw really well and others they draw terribly. So, um, so it's, you know, you find the same thing with fish. They, they're very different as individuals. So when, when you find these differences in learning patterns, very hard to say, oh, this is due to, in, to, to sex or to species differences. It could just be individual differences. But I think the trend across all studies has been that the sticklets learn quicker and the stingrays are better. You know, once they learn it, they're better, um, but they, they don't like to let go. And um, I think in the transfer tests, um, the stingrays also performed, they, they showed that again, they performed even better than cichlids. Um, and I, there was something else. Uh, hold on. <laughs> I think the cichlids, they, they learned quicker, the stingrays did much better. Yeah, yeah. The, better. Stubbornness wasn't, the stubbornness wasn't an issue in this study, but that's just something that we find generally. But the, the transfer test, the, the stingrays did, did even better than the say. Oh, yeah. And the other thing was that um, more, more cichlids learned it than stingrays. Just out of eight individuals that we started out with, we only had three stingrays learn the task and do all the transfer tests and everything, uh, whereas we had, I think, six out of eight cichlids. Um, so you've been doing research on this for a while, uh, yeah. and um, I mean, I, I'd love to learn more about some of some of your other results. Is there an area where you're you want to do more research on, or where you're you're doing more studies right now that you're focused on? Um, well, we, we're actually we're, we're doing. Um, I'm also working on turtles now. That's fairly recent, uh, freshwater turtles, and we're doing this mathematical excursion or this uh, this uh, plus one minus thing. Uh, we're testing on the sharks and the turtles now. Uh, on the stingrays, I would like in the fall another um, study to start potentially with maybe doing plus two versus plus one. See if if that can also be learned. So we may want to do a little bit more, but my lab is not specifically um, set out to study numerical abilities. There's a couple of uh, groups uh, in Italy, one in particular around Christian Agrillo and colleagues uh, that work on numerical abilities of uh, teleos, so bony fish, uh, and that's their expertise. And for us, it's just uh, just um, one of the topics that, or for me, it's just one of the topics that I'm really interested in. So. Uh, we're also doing, um, in the stingrays at the moment, categorization. So the, the fact that, for example, when you come into a room and you see a chair, then you know immediately that it's a chair and you can sit on that, uh, even though it, maybe it's a type of chair you've never seen before with a really funky covering or color or whatever else. Um, and that's because of your ability to categorize. You can identify things based on a few characteristic features and immediately uh, place them into context. And so we're looking, uh, we've done that successfully in, in uh, we, we've had a couple of successful studies in the cichlids and the sharks, and we're doing the same thing now in the stingrays. And um, we're also doing a little bit more on spatial memory. So uh, I also, I always have uh, several students and I always discuss with them what they're interested in and, and maybe what the animals were just trained in. And then we do very different things, but the, the, um, the, persisting feature or, or one of the very commonly de used designs by us is that they have to come out of, out of this gate, decide between two things that they're presented with, 
uh, and they're rewarded for choosing one of them. And then association is formed, and, and then you do some sort of transfer test to look for strategies and, and, and transfer abilities. So, um, and uh, we're also looking at when the brain uh, cognitive information is being processed. So, but that's something very different not to do with the behavioral experiments. So you said you were surprised about their ability to uh, specify the plus one. Mm -hmm. In your past research, is there anything that you were just super surprised by or something that you found like, well, that's cool. Didn't know they could do that. Um, yeah, like, uh, by the way, just to specify, I'm not really surprised that they learned the plus one, minus one. I'm surprised that they not being forced to learn this detail. So when you specifically train them to only then, but you know, they, they basically did it by themselves being given several potential possible options. Um, yes, I was, um, I said, I set out in 2009, in like the 2012, 13, around that time, we did a couple of these categorization studies. And one in particular was on a perception of symmetry. So we looked if something asymmetrical, and we're always talking about two-dimensional graphics on paper. So, um, so if something symmetrical could be uh, differentiated from something asymmetrical. And, um, we had, we had drawings of very, if you want to say intricate designs, like, uh, I wish, uh, I sent you the study. It's, it's very hard to explain, but they were, they were little drawings of people or of cars or of whatever else. And then in the asymmetrical version, the drawing was identical, just shifted slightly around. So like the line length and everything was kept the same, but something was done cricket to make it asymmetrical. But, you know, essentially the presentation that the, that the animals were given was essentially the same. Just a few things were shifted around to not be symmetrical anymore. And so um, the sharks and the stingrays back then, and the sharks and the cichlids back then, they learned to differentiate between something symmetrical and asymmetrical. And then in a second step, they actually learned to categorize that. So out of really hundreds of pictures that we showed them that were completely unknown to them, never to be seen before, uh, they always picked the one that was symmetrical over the one that was asymmetrical. And in 2012, or when we, or 11, when we, when we did these experiments, when the students did them, I was really fascinated. I, when, when we set out and there was, there was no prior study from on, uh, there wasn't a study like in this case, we just copied the design, but there was no study that really had done it the way there was something similar, maybe in pigeons, but it was still different. And yeah, it, that was really, really amazing. And when I read the paper now, I'm still, I'm still happily, I don't know, enthusiastic about the fact that well it worked. And uh, my cool. previous P pre, uh, PhD student or previous PhD student of mine, she looked at optical illusions, uh, like so-called Knizza figures and bamboo sharks. It's these impressions where you think you see a white square or white triangle on a black background, when in fact there is no triangle or square. It's, it's just... Um, um, not full um, black circles with edges missing out of them being arranged in a certain position to one another. And uh, well, our brain basically looked at these illusions and based on our experience in the very um, geometric world that we live in, our brain says, nah, 
there needs to be a square and there needs to be a triangle because otherwise this makes no sense. And so basically the retina information or the information coming from the retina is being filtered and modified and matched with all these previous experiences and expectations that we have. And then we see a square and a triangle when in fact there is none. And so we wanted to see if that's the same flexible mechanism um, is present in the sharks. If they also, when, when we train them to be used to geometric features, if they can also perceive these, this illusion, if they also fall for this illusion. And we found they did. And so that was another thing that was just, um, yeah, I was just, uh, it wasn't completely unexpected, but it was, it's, it's always really nice to see when it works, when your artificial uh, experiments that you subject these animals to, when, when they're still clever enough to, to do well in them and, and to show us something. Yeah. That was really nice. No, that's, I mean, that sounds fascinating. It's really, it's really neat to hear about. Um, so my last question here is basically, what 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 is the take home point of all this? I mean, people, so many people out there don't even think about this topic, you know. But it's it's really fascinating. Uh, once like just listening to you talk, I'm like, wow, that's really neat. Had no idea fish could do that. Um, and it's funny. Some of my podcast listeners wrote me, and I I told them, I'm like, yeah, I have this researcher who's going to come on and talk about how fish can do math. And like, they were like, when is that coming on? I want to listen to that one. <laughs> like people were really interested in this. Um, so what, what is, uh, what do you want people to know? Uh, well, like I've just said in the beginning, I am, I've, I've always been interested in fish and I really love fish, but um, I think the general population greatly underestimates fish. And that actually holds true for most animals that are not really cute and cuddly that, where people just have a hard time building up maybe a personal relationship with, you know, like I think any dog owner or any cat owner would, um, would, would, uh, would confirm or say that uh, their animal has personality, that they can anticipate what they want, that they can, uh, that they sense feelings of people, that they have emotions, you know, all these things. And so um, the further animals get away from our everyday life or the less accessible they are, the less um, abilities we attribute to them, or the, the, the maybe it's also a respect thing. You know, if you think of how fish are being caught, um, I know uh, other animals are also um, kept under horrible conditions, but with fish, there are actually very few um, regulations. And um, even you know, if you think of uh, fishing as a sport and all that. Um, most people, and, and also sayings in, in everyday life, something is fishy or someone has fishy eyes or someone has a fishy personality or whatever, it's always something negative. And, and so I think or what I would really like people to take away from the study is that um, fish are really interesting and fabulous animals. They, uh, I don't want to say that a fish is the same as a dog. You know, I, I, I don't want to say that, but I generally don't really like this type of comparison. I don't like if to speak about intelligence and say something is more intelligent than another. Like people have, have very different levels of intelligence, but yet I think they're all worth the same. You know, they all deserve the same respect. And so, um, fish are really quite perfectly adapted to their respective environments and they're, they can do many fabulous things. and But then when you look at the study with the honeybees, like bees with these titsy tiny brains, they can do the same thing. 
Um, this study was done prior to mine, and it's 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 the same thing. People just you know step on a bee because they're scared that it's going to sting them, but they're not just little machines. They're they're great little organisms. They can learn many things, and uh, they have personality. Uh, yeah. So I think my take-home message would be that people just are more open towards organisms where they don't expect them to have any anything great or fascinating about them to be more open and don't just automatically assume that these animals don't have any of that because they're not confronted with it on a regular basis. Um, and maybe it gets more people a bit more aware about these things and gets kids more interested in, in fish or actually in these animal groups uh, overall. You know, it's not just dogs that can do great tricks. Yeah, no, I think that's no, I think that's an excellent point. And, um, and two, just, you know, the, there's all this, there was, you know, this talk about like nature deficient and just people were like so locked in into our digital saturated worlds. And um, we just don't, you know, there's this lack of interest. But um, yeah, that's, I, I think it's, it's good to um, like remind us and do this research. And uh yeah, these, these these are different beings. They they have their environments, but if their environment's connected to our environment, it's uh yeah. I know. So, yeah, that interconnectedness is lacking today. I think so, and it's I mean specifically with sharks and stingrays. No, I mean people are becoming more aware that sharks are fascinating animals, but still, most I would think still would consider a shark stupid. You know, instinct driven, bloodthirsty. Maybe maybe nowadays people actually. Um, more aware of that shots and not that bloodthirsty as they were portrayed in the 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever. Yes, yeah. yeah. Exactly. But still, um, so while the shots are really um, a very hyped animal and many people think shots are cool and everything, still not many people think or know that shots are also smart, whereas, you know, I don't like the smart word, but, you know, they can do, they can, they can learn things. They, they, they can do really great tests and and they're not just instinct driven you know they're not they're not just cool because they look cool or they have great teeth or something but they they also have brain and they use the brain and uh, they can they can learn great things and um like my colleague in australia colin brown they also look at personality and like uh, um like if some animals are braver than others or more timid or whatever and you know that's really interesting too, and and sharks have that, but also bees and spiders. If you if you talk to people that work with these organisms, they would probably tell you the same thing. Even ants can do absolutely amazing things, and um, yeah. So maybe if people are just generally aware that most organisms are pretty funky and cool and and can do really interesting things. Yeah, it's funny when you talk about intelligence. I was actually talking uh, with a friend recently about that. Where there's like different kinds of intelligence out there. Yes. Um, yeah, and that's so. I kind of i I feel like I'm with you when you this, when you talk about you don't like the word smart. I don't either because yeah, yeah it's just this. Um, it's like an umbrella term, but like you know, I you might be smart in one area and and I might be smart in another area. Yeah, and totally. I agree. Yeah. So it's just yes. um, and you can well, see how that. Yeah. Well, animals, it's like the thing, why do you need to be smart in something that you don't need? Like people yeah. would say Miramark test is like a hallmark of 
of, of higher cognitive functions, where you look into a mirror and you recognize yourself. But then when you're a fish, uh, you live in an environment pretty much bare of reflective surfaces. Why would you even have a need? I mean, they, they, they showed it in one species now that, and it seems to be sound, that they can recognize themselves. Other fish that I've tested cannot, like uh, clownfish, for example, they they attack the mirror and go crazy. But then the poor clownfish, when does it ever encounter a mirror? Why should it even recognize itself visually? Maybe it doesn't recognize itself in a different means. So it's, it's, it's very hard, like these general tests uh, that they, like across animal species, mm. all all species are perfectly adapted to, to their environment or to the environment before we destroyed it. Um, and, and if they don't know something or if they cannot learn it, they probably don't need it. And that's a yeah, great point. That's a great yeah, point. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, and, and, uh, yeah, I, I always, um, I always try to, to, to tell people that, you know, it's the same with people don't like to talk about intelligence and people, but uh, intelligence is inherited. Or is a, is a trait just like any other trait? Some a basis is inherited. The environment can either maximize what you inherit, like make it more, or or you you don't reach your full potential because you don't you're not given the opportunity. But still, intelligence is not the same for all people. But it doesn't make one person less worth than another, and everyone deserves the same respect. The same way one person has brown hair and the other one has blonde hair. Um, and with animals, the same thing. They may not be what we consider as clever, but they should still deserve some respect and recognition for what they can do and for being part of this world. And um, and this includes fish. So in fish, um, that's I think that's why I've been actually happy about this media attention um, because it's it's. It, it really made me feel for a moment that people looked at fish in a different way. And this is really nice to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's just the catchphrase, like the headline yeah. that you need. I know. <laughs> even, even if it's a little bit like, um, hyperbolic or exaggerate, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know. I agree. Yeah, and then people click on it and they read it and then you just, then you break it down for them and get more. I've learned that, especially in this like digital atmosphere, like, that headline, that catchphrase really matters. Yeah. Um, and I'm always like, oh, I need to be as accurate as possible. Then I'm like, no, but you need something that's a little bit provocative to get people to click on it. I agree. Yeah. We had, we had a different title first, but we had for the paper, I said, the title was like, um, not so fishy math, double point, cichlids and, and the journal made me cross it out. And I was like, oh, that's pretty sad because it's, uh, I, I specifically wanted to have the fishy in there because everybody, uh, it was like this bird game. Um, but they, they, they wanted to have a serious. Yeah, serious the journals, <laughs> the journals are always serious. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but you just have to let yeah. the PR people run with it then. <laughs> yeah. But, but this, I agree. You need, like, I don't like titles that, um, that over-exaggerate too much. That's why I added in the number space of one to five, even in the title. I didn't just want to say fish can count because that really would have been too much. Um, but, you know, if you can be a little bit, uh, not not maybe just provocative, but if you can be a little bit catchy, if the title is a little bit catchy. Uh, yeah, or like a pun or something. And it helps a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and then you get people to click on it. And sometimes that's all it takes just to get that interest. Um, yeah. it's, an, it's an art. It's an art. Like in a experimenting and testing, you know, different types of messaging, but um, I, it is a part of it, part of the strategy of getting it out there and getting people to read it for sure. 
Um, but but yeah, I'll I'll come back to you over email and be like, help me out. What should I name this podcast? (laughs) But thank you so much, Vera. That was really um a a cool talk, and I look forward to sharing it with my listeners. Um, I'm glad we were able to make this work. Um, Yes. Yeah, with everything else going on, that's great. So thanks for your time, and I I will. I'll share this with you. Yes. Thank okay. you very much for your interest and good luck with your podcast. And Thanks. For, yes. All right. And good luck with your research. And I'll stay in touch because I'm, I'm interested now. So, well, yeah. if you want to, I'll send you some papers and you can have a look. Yeah. I'm an, I'll send them. My father's a veterinarian, so he, he'll be interested <laughs> in this stuff too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For I mean, sure. Thank you. Good luck with everything. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye bye. All right, guys. Thank you for joining us today. Hopefully you learned something. Uh, We mix it up a little bit today on causes or cures. I like that. So yeah, if you guys have ideas for other topics that you're interested in, another fish topic, another species, I'm down. Just shoot me an email, erin at bloomingwellness.com. You can reach me through my website, bloomingwellness.com, and find my social media links there too, and read my health blog, which is there, um, mixed in with some awful advertisement blogs that I don't review at all, but, uh, just so you know. Um, all right guys. And, and again, a special thank you to Dr. Vera and I will link to her lab and some of her papers in the podcast description. I really appreciate her coming on to talk about this. With something different, something new, something we don't often hear about. So, cool stuff. Alright guys, hopefully I'll see you back here next time for the next episode. Some good ones coming up. And until then, have a good day.